0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, the different styles of wine, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we're going to look at sparkling wine, giving an overview of the different regions in which sparkling wine is made, the different styles of sparkling wine, and also the different production methods for sparkling wine. Of course, we begin by looking at Champagne, the region in which sparkling wine all began. And looking at the history of Champagne helps us understand why sparkling wine is what it is, and how it is made. Going back to the 1500s, Europe was going through a mini ice age, and Champagne was affected by this, uh, really, these really cool conditions. Champagne is a cool gro- wine producing region anyway, and even cooler during the 15 and 1600s. At that time, producers did not understand fermentation. They simply knew that grape juice transformed itself into wine over a period of time, but they didn't know how or why. And what they would do was simply put the grape juice into barrels and leave it over the winter. And then come spring, the grape juice had magically transformed into wine. But because the conditions were so cold at this period, the grape juice was not fermenting completely but they did not know or understand that so they would simply send the barrels off to their markets as they had always done not understanding that the sugar and yeast in the wine had not completely fermented coincidentally at that time in london which was one of the big markets for champagne the english had discovered how to make their glass stronger by blowing it with um, coal instead of sand and making the glass stronger meant that the glass could be transported and also used for storage They also learned how to put a cork into a glass bottle, something the Romans had known how to do, but which had been lost over time. So that meant that they could store the wine for a considerable period of time, which was great for the local merchants, because it meant they had a, a constant supply of fresh wine. And because that wine was storing for a period of time, something was happening in the bottle that no one knew. And when they opened the bottle, the cork would pop, and then there would be bubbles in the wine. And the local English loved it. The French were in horror at this, saying that it was faulty, they were not storing the wines correctly, but it continued to happen year after year, and eventually the English discovered why there were bubbles in these bottles from champagne that fermentation was sugar plus yeast equals alcohol and carbon dioxide and the carbon dioxide being produced by that fermentation in the bottle because the wines are not fully fermented they still have sugar and yeast in them the carbon dioxide has been trapped by the cork and hence a sparkling wine eventually the champagne producers embraced this style but not until the 1700s and they began to add sugar and yeast deliberately to the bottles to encourage that second fermentation and con- to control the bubbles being produced by it and champagne became known for this sparkling wine. There was one downside though to adding sugar and yeast to the bottle and that was that the yeast cells would die once the fermentation was complete and you'd have an ugly deposit of sediment in the bottle and Le Veuve Clicquot, the widow Clico, um, came up with the idea of getting rid of that yeast without losing too much wine. She dug some holes into her kitchen table, turned the bottles upside upside down, and held them in the kitchen table for several weeks, allowing the yeast deposit to fall into the neck of the bottle. And it was a great idea, and her cellar master, Antoine Muller, a German, perfected that and came up with the Riddling rack. That rack which holds uh, several bottles which start off horizontally and then are twisted over the course of eight weeks by hand until they are vertical and all the yeast sediment is trapped in the neck of the bottle. And that made Le Veuve extremely famous and extremely successful, and it is of course one of the biggest brands in Champagne today and then several decades later in the 1880s a Belgian came up with the idea of freezing the neck of the bottle so that the yeast deposit would simply pop out without losing any wine and that fundamentally is how champagne is still made today. Adding Having a base wine, base wine with low alcohol and high acidity putting it in the bottle, adding sugar and yeast, putting a cap on the bottle, allowing that second fermentation to occur, to create the bubbles, and then aging the wine in contact with the dead yeast cells for a period of time, often very long period of time, to create that yeasty complexity, toast and bread and nuts that we associate with uh, the best champagne. And then uh, when the the producer is ready to uh, release the wine, they will disgorge it by freezing the neck of the bottle. Popping the yeast out after the riddling, or using the modern practice of the gyro palette, which is a cube which spins the bottles around over five to seven days, so a much less labour intensive and expensive way of getting the yeast deposit into the neck of the bottle. And when they get rid of that yeast, they add a little bit of wine to top the bottle up and also some sugar which um, is called the dosage and how much sugar is added to the wine tells you how sweet the wine is going to be and champagne is always a balance between the really high acidity of the cool climate and the sugar coming from the dosage which gives the wine a bit of body and stops it being too austere. The great varieties in champagne are Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Mernier. Pinot Noir adds body Chardonnay adds acidity and elegance, and uh, Mernier adds a really fresh fruitiness to the wines. And Mernier is often found in the non-vintage wines because they're designed usually to be drunk younger, and Mernier has that youth to it difference between non-vintage and vintage is of course that non-vintage is a blend of different years and that's because champagne has a cool climate and you don't always know what the quality of the grapes is going to be like so the non-vintage is an insurance creating a consistency of quality and of style from year to year whereas vintage should only come from the very best years and will be more concentrated and more individual as well changing from year to year so looking at the other areas in france which make sparkling wine they all have the um, name cremon and cremon used to be a style of champagne which was lower in bubbles and um, quite creamy hence the name cremon but now this refers to the different appellations in france which produce sparkling wine so going around france we have cremon de loire cremon de bordeaux cremon de Lemoux, and Lemoux is a small village in the languedoc which has been making sparkling wine for centuries Cremont de Die, which is another small village historically associated with sparkling wine, located between the northern Rhone and the southern Rhone, Cremont de Savoie, Cremont de Jura and also Cremont d'Alsace. The problem with Cremont is that all these regions use different grape varieties and produce different styles and levels of quality of sparkling wine, so the appellation Cremont has never really caught on as the um, authorities wanted it to, because it's just so inconsistent. Going into Spain we have Cava and Cava is the largest uh, sparkling wine production in the world and this covers a huge area of Spain going all the way from Catalonia in northeast Spain to the border with Portugal in western Spain means cellar, and this is a style created in the 19th century by the founder of what is now Cordonieux, who went to Champagne, loved the wines, came back and wanted to make the same style of wine himself. So these wines are made like Champagne in the traditional method as it's now called, Uh, but the lees contact is much shorter, so it's only nine months and Cava often lacks that yeastiness and toastiness that Champagne has and isn't as complex and is a lot simpler. And and the sales of Cava cover uh, the inexpensive simple uh, category of sparkling wine. It's dominated by two producers, Cordoniu and Freixenet, and they very rarely agree with each other, which really halts the development of Cava as a quality wine area. Most of that production is located in Catalonia and in the town of Penedes, which is on the uh, coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and with slopes rising up from the sea, and the best grapes going to be higher up with uh, cooler conditions and higher acidity. The grape varieties used for Cava are mainly local: Macabeu, Chardonnay, and Parellada, which aren't particularly so, um, suitable for sparkling wine. But nevertheless, the local producers insist on using them, maintaining that it gives Cava its own identity. There is some Pinot Noir and Chardonnay planted in the for Cava, particularly in Penedès, which I think produces much higher quality wines. The problems with those local grape varieties is that they produce quite mushroomy, rubbery aromas, which isn't particularly attractive. In Italy, there is one area which concentrates on the traditional method, and that is Francia Corta, which is in northern Italy between some of the Great Lakes. And this is an area created in the 1960s by a small number of producers who really wanted to create a similar style to champagne and also a similar quality. And the prices that Francia Corta charge are very similar to champagne as well, though I don't think they're quite the same high quality. Still very good, just not quite the same as Champagne, because it is is a little bit warmer, and so the acidity isn't quite as high, and the wines are a bit fruitier. But nevertheless, very uh, attractive wines, made from Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and sometimes a little little bit of Pinot Blanc, or Pinot Bianco. Going outside of Europe, some other regions which make uh, uh, sparkling wine using the traditional method. We have South Africa, and South Africa is the only country in the so-called New World which has its own designation for sparkling wine, Method Cap Classique, or MCC for short, created in 1992. And this has been really beneficial to the South African wine industry because it really focuses uh, people's concentration on the wines of of South Africa, the sparkling wines of South Africa, because they have a term to show how they've been made. They must be made using the traditional method, aged for 12 months at least on their lees, There are no restrictions on grape varieties, but obviously Pinot Noir and Chardonnay do dominate with some Chenin Blanc, which is the most planted grape variety in South Africa, and even Pinotage being used and these are often made in the cooler parts of South Africa around the coast as well as Stellenbosch and Franschhoek, which are a bit further inland and these can be really high quality very pleasant wines uh, fruitier and not as acidic as champagne but, uh, but very good price for um, what you're getting and then elsewhere in the new world Australia and New Zealand also make sparkling wine they often use the transfer method And transfer method is very similar to the traditional method, except the wines are not disgorged like champagne is. Instead, the wines are simply emptied into a tank, the yeast is filtered out of the tank, and then the wines are put back into the bottle. Very similar to the uh, traditional method, just that one difference. And on the island of Tasmania in particular, um, very good sparkling wine is made. And then also California, Chile, Argentina, all produce sparkling wines using the traditional method then there's another way of making sparkling wine and that is the tank method and here we have the base wine again low in alcohol high in acidity and the wine is put into a large tank and then the tank is covered with sugar and yeast added to the base wine and the second fermentation begins and the carbon dioxide is trapped by the cover of the tank and so that produces the bubbles. But there's nothing like the same yeasty complexity from this method because instead of the yeast being in contact it with in the bottle, it's in the large tank so you're not going to get any yeasty lees aromas. The most famous style of wine made using the tank method is Prosecco which is a large area covering the Veneto and the Frulli Venezia Giulia regions in northeast Italy. The grape here is called Glera, or at least now it is. The Italians sneakily came up with a way of designating Prosecco to protect the, uh, from the name of the wines being met, used in Australia uh, in particular. And they found a village called Prosecco, And they drew a large circle around that village and decided to call the region Prosecco because you cannot protect the name of a grape variety, but you can protect the name of a region. And then they changed the name of the grape to Glera, which is a local variant of Prosecco. And so Prosecco now is that large DOC producing fruity, aromatic wines, which are quite simple, but a lot of fun, increasingly popular. There is one DOCG within Prosecco, which has the almost impossible-to-pronounce name of Conegliano Valdobliane, which I have completely butchered, but there it is. But that's um, higher quality, steep slopes, higher altitude, but still a little bit more complex, but still that fruity style of sparkling wine, nothing like champagne. In north Italy, in Piemonte, there is Asti, which is made using the tank method, but here the wines are chilled very early on in the fermentation process, which interrupts the fermentation and means there are still lots of sugar in the wine. So Asti is always sweet and the alcohol is low, between seven and a half and nine and a half percent. And then there is another style of Asti called Moscato Dasti from higher quality grapes. Moscato or Muscat is used for both styles of wine, but higher quality for Moscato Dasti and much lower alcohol again, just five percent. That alcohol and the sweetness coming from interrupting the fermentation. And then finally we go to Germany. And Germans drink more sparkling wine than any other country in the world. They love champagne, but what they drink a lot of is Sekt. And Sekt comes in different levels of quality. The basic Sekt, which the Germans drink a lot of, is made using grapes grown outside of Germany. So they're cheap grapes from Eastern Europe, which are brought into Germany, and then the wine is made in Germany, and this is usually the tank method. There is Deutsche Sekt, which means German Sekt, which means the grapes actually come from within Germany. And then there is the sect Angautgebieter, which means the sect comes from one region within Germany, so much more regionally specific and much higher quality. Not that much of it made, but what is made is actually quite good often made using Riesling, so a much more aromatic uh, grape than the ones used for champagne, but they are made using the traditional methods. You get the Riesling aromas together with yeasty lees aromas. And these can be quite inviting wines with a little bit of sweetness. And there is another style of sect, which is called pale Vine, which has much less bubbles in it than um, sec, and that can be very light and refreshing. So those are the different regions for sparkling wine. I've just given a brief overview of them. Some of those regions I'll look at in more detail in future episodes. That just gives you an idea of the different production methods and where sparkling wine is made around the world. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.